Pastor Katie. Pastor Katie and I spent some time doing some sermon planning last week, and we talked about doing a sermon series. And if you've been following your e-news, you know that today is the first Sunday of this sermon series, Why Did You Say That, Jesus? Uh, It could also be called, Don't Get Mad at the Pastors, Jesus Said It. (laughs) I also told Pastor Katie when I got here this morning that I got to thinking on Friday as I was putting together this week's message that it probably wasn't the best thing to do being new to try to focus on the things that Jesus says that people don't like to hear. But we trust God. We trust God, and so far nobody has got up and left in the first two, uh, the first two deliveries of the message, and I, I pray that that uh, continues uh, with this service. Uh, Irvin and, and, and Wayne, they can stop you if you try to leave. They have my permission. I want to share with you the, uh, the, the gospel reading for today. It comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. Hear now these words from Jesus. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and then later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have only done what we ought to have done. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, your word oftentimes presents us with with passages, with sayings, with stories that that trouble us, that seem to go against our idea of the types of things that you should be saying, or at least the things that we would prefer to hear you say. As we dive into this word today together, we pray that we hear with clarity what it is that you would have us to hear today so that we may be a changed people when we go to leave, so that we may have the opportunity to see things in a different light. May your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel, an instrument of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of you have probably already heard or maybe you've seen through watching the Duke University a uh, little Bayou documentary on me that you are aware that uh, in my late teens and early 20s, I had a, a bit of a drug problem, um, so much so that I am lucky to be alive. Uh, it is only by the grace of God that I am alive. Uh, in my hometown, my original uh, hometown, uh, I've been to more funerals for my friends and family because of uh, the drug epidemic, uh, than I care to remember. I've been to so many funerals in that place and never not even one wedding. But by the grace of God, many, many, many years ago, I was able to, to get clean, 
and to stay clean, and I'm grateful. With that said, on the day in which I celebrated that first 60-day mark, my first two months free from, from narcotics, I went to cut the grass for my grandmother. Uh, here, uh, from here, at this point forward, referred to as Mama Largen. So I went to cut Mama Largen's grass in his rather big yard, and about halfway through the task, I decided that I needed to take a break. So I went inside, and I got something good to eat and something cold to drink, and I was sitting down and enjoying it, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to celebrate with Mama Largen the joyous moment that is today, this the 60-day mark. So I kind of puffed up my chest a little bit, and I said all proud, Mama, you know what today is? She said, what? I said, 60 days. 60 days. I haven't done drugs for 60 days. Been clean 60 days. And she looked at me with those soft blue eyes, and she had this little glow about her, and she said, I'm proud of you. And I was just, I, I was just over the moon, giddy. She was proud of me. I was proud of me. Everybody was proud of me. I've done something, right? Well, then she looked at me and she said, 60 days. How about that? She said, you know how long I've been clean from drugs? 75 years. <laughs> she said, before you get too excited, just remember that what you're doing now is what you should have been doing all along. What I heard was, okay, dummy, it's time to go finish cutting the grass. <laughs> and that's just what I did. I left that drink behind, and I went and I started cutting the grass. Don't get too excited. All you're doing now is what you should have been doing all along. You know, Jesus' followers, they gather around the campfire with him for another one of their parable marathons. This is Jesus around the campfire telling story after story that they get really confused and challenged by. And they're sitting here with Jesus this time, and Jesus tells them to imagine that they have a servant. Well, this is hard for them to imagine because the fact of the matter is, is that most of them are actually quite poor, and they can really never understand what it means to have a servant. But they try. They try. So, okay, try and imagine we have a servant. Okay, we have a servant. And Jesus says, now imagine that servant spends all day tending sheep and plowing your fields. They're like, okay, we're following you, Jesus, out in the field, working hard. Okay, all right. Jesus said, now imagine that that servant comes in from doing that work. Are you going to say to the servant, come on in, buddy. I know you've had a tough day in the field. Take your shoes off. Here, sit down. Let me get you something to eat and drink. You just rest a spell. Eat, drink, and be merry. Is that what you would say to your servant? And at this point, they don't say anything. They've learned that more times than not, it's probably best that when Jesus asks them a question like this, not to say anything. <laughs> so they say nothing. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell you what you would say. You wouldn't say to your servant, come on in, buddy, take your shoes off, rest a spell, eat, drink, and be merry. You wouldn't say that. No, you would say to your servant, put your apron on. Get in the kitchen. Prepare my supper. Bring it to me. And then after I eat, you clean up after me. Then you can eat and drink. 
And then on top of that, Jesus says, are you even going to thank the servant for doing what the servant was supposed to do? Nah. No, you won't even say thank you because servant's just doing what the servant's supposed to do. And it's at this point in this little story that, that, that Jesus' friends, his followers, they, they have to know that the punchline is coming. They have to know the punchline is coming. They've sent around these campfires long enough to know that a punchline is coming. And they're probably expecting it to hit them right in between the eyes. And sure enough, the punchline comes and it hits them right in between the eyes. Jesus says to them, so you also. Just like this slave who spends all day out in the field and then is expected to come inside and to prepare, prepare the food and to clean up after the meal and to do so with not even a thank you. So you also, when you have done what you have been commanded to do, you shall say, we are worthless slaves. We have only done what we ought to do. Wow. He likens his followers to worthless slaves. Come on, Jesus. Come on now. What happened to well done, good and faithful servant? We like that one better. I mean, could you imagine going to a, a, a funeral and the preacher, instead of standing up and saying, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, instead says, well, here's another worthless slave. That wouldn't go over too well, would it? Don't get mad at me. Jesus said it. Not Jabe. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Jesus, Jesus knows we're not worthless. Quite the opposite. Jesus knows we're not worthless. Jesus knew his disciples were not worthless. But as that's often the case in parables, Jesus will say something outrageous. Jesus will use some, some, some outrageous illustration to get our attention, to, to shock us into paying better attention. He says something outrageous. He says something just, just, just blindsides us with it, just totally unexpected, so that we will be shocked into paying closer attention so that we might catch some point that Jesus feels an important point for us to catch that we would otherwise miss if we were not shocked. And maybe that's what's happening here. Maybe Jesus says this shocking thing, likening his followers to worthless slaves because he's trying to make a bigger point. And maybe, just maybe, the bigger point is that sometimes the only reason why we sign up for things in life, including this life of faith, it's because we expect something grand in return. And maybe what Jesus is suggesting is that if we sign up for this life of faith only for the reward at the end, the pat on the back, the 
the attaboy or girl, the well done, good and faithful servant, the reward at the end, then perhaps we're missing some of the point. You know, it's probably not the first occasion sitting around the campfire that Jesus made his disciples question whether or not following Jesus was worth the effort. They knew there was something special about them, but the more and more time they spent with them, they had to start questioning, is this really all it's cracked up to be? They had to become skeptical after hearing Jesus say things like this so often. And he says things like this often. You know, it's no wonder that uh, their presence at the cross is virtually non-existent. Jesus will remind them, Not only do you have to plow the field and cut the grass and tend the sheep, but you also have to make supper. And don't expect the pat on the back because you're just doing what you signed up to do in the first place. And most of them are probably saying, if we knew that this was the way it was going to be, we wouldn't have signed up in the first place. Jesus would be a really bad job interviewer. (laughs) Really bad. Uh, So it says here that uh, you are a fisherman. Had a lot of you apply lately for some reason. But let me tell you a thing or two about the job before you agreed to work here. Uh, First of all, the pay stinks. If you're going to be my disciple, there's not going to be a lot of uh, pay for you. You will have enough to eat, just barely. You'll never be able to afford your dream house, but don't worry about that because you're not going to need a house. (laughs) You're going to be so busy on the road being my disciple, literally eating the dust off of my feet that you're not going to need a home. We'll sleep somewhere. Just make sure you have a couple of good pairs of sandals. Oh, how do you feel about going to some sketchy places and hanging out with some sketchy people? We'll break bread with them too, share from the same cup. Oh, and by the way, the retirement plan, (laughs) it stinks. Disciples never get to retire. They'll die first. If you do what you're supposed to do, I'll be proud of you. But chances are, I won't come down and tell you. And I'll also expect you to do more. Oh, and don't expect a lot of help from your coworkers. You'll find out that most of them are not as committed as they pretend to be. But fear not, I'll, I'll provide you with all you need. All you need for the job, I'll, I'll make sure that you have it. Even though most of the time, it'll feel as if you don't have enough. So, when you want to start. How about now? Right now. Because that's when we need you to start is is now. Right now. Immediately. You know, if we're concerned about money or retirement, safety, rewards, and recognition, 
in the life of discipleship, well, that's, that's probably not for us. Oh, that's right, I'm saying us now. You know, because he's not just talking to them back then, he's, he's also speaking to us right now. You get that, right? But see, the difference between us and them is that in our case, the expectations are clearly defined from the beginning. We know what is expected of us if we are followers of Jesus. You see, then back then, they had, to, they had to kind of figure it out as they went along. But we know. We have chapters and books. A whole big book that tells us what is expected of us if we choose this life of following Christ. We know what we're getting ourselves into. Jesus makes it perfectly clear to us, pre-resurrection and post-resurrection, that there is a lot of work to do. And we, we are the ones who are called to do it. We are the hands and feet that God has set apart to do God's work in this world. Us. Now. Right now. Immediately. And sometimes we might have to do it by ourselves, without a lot of help. You know, in Jesus' story, there was only one slave that had to do the work of many. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. Remember, don't get mad at me. Jesus said it, not Jabe. Unlike those first disciples, we do know good and well what we are getting ourselves into. We know that much is expected of us. So the question then becomes, are we still willing to do the work? Are we still willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, knowing that much is expected? Are we still willing to put in the time? Are we committed enough to go work out in the field and then to come inside and work some more without even an attaboy or an girl? More importantly, and these are the, the last two questions that I want you to, to really take home with you today. More importantly, are we willing to serve for nothing more than just the joy of the service itself. If serving the master were to be the only reward that we were to receive, would that be reward enough? Would it be? Is it? So you also, let us pray. God, we, we put our hope and our trust in you that you have 
given us all we need to be your hands and feet in this world, your servants. We know that we are precious in your sight and not worthless, but you also have our attention. Show us now what else needs to be done. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people say, Amen.